Good afternoon. This is Apostle Thompson from Benin Republic again. Here to share the word of God with you. Today, I want to consider an issue that has been on the mind of most believers and even unbelievers all over the world today. And this is talking about the new world order. And uh, I want to share with you some thoughts that the Lord God has given to me concerning an expose from the biblical point of view on technology, on virus, and of course, in the church of God. By the way, these uh, thoughts has already been published in the book by the same title on amazonbook.com, on kobobook.com, and also on okadabook.com. So you can get them anytime you wish. Just type my name, Apostle Thompson Books, on kobobook.com, on amazonbook.com. And you'll be able you find them there. Alright, today we're gonna to start on logic versus fate. It's the title of uh, revelational knowledge versus saints knowledge. This is a prophetic teaching or message that should give us a better knowledge of the times we live in today. It should endow us with adequate information concerning believers, diseases, viruses, and lastly, technology. The Bible makes us to understand in the book of First Kings, I mean, sorry, First Corinthians chapter 1, verse uh, 20 to 23 verses 20 to 23 he said where is the wise where is the scribe where is the disputer of this age as God not make foolish the wisdom and then in paragraph or rather in a in, 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 in parenthesis, the Apripa version described it as learning, knowledge, technology, and advancement of this world. Because in the wisdom of God, the world, through wisdom, did not know God. It has pleased God then, through the foolishness of the message of the gospel, to save those who choose to believe. So, it means categorically here, I cannot be saved unless I believe in Jesus Christ. And this fact is what in human wisdom is the foolishness of God. But actually, it is the wisdom of God 
that human logic finds too common and therefore cannot grasp it, cannot understand it, cannot benefit from it. The Jews, they want a sign. Greeks, they seek after wisdom. But we who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we preach Christ and Christ crucified. And this has become a stumbling block to the Jews and it is foolishness to the Greek. Now, who are the Jews? I mean, the Jews are, you can say, biological descendants of Abraham who inherited the covenant that God made with Abraham and also rectified through Moses when he brought them out from captivity in Israel, I mean in Egypt. Now, who are the Greeks? The Greeks basically represent every Gentile nation, anybody that is not descended from biological Abraham. Those are the Greeks, those are the Gentiles. Now, I want you to further understand the difference between these two. It means that the descendants of Abraham through natural biology are those from Agai, Keturah, and Esau. They are not included in the promised covenant that God made with Abraham. Because that Abraham, that, that Abrahamic covenant was specifically inherited by Isaac, and then Isaac gave it to Jacob. And Jacob gave it to the twelve sons. So, any other descendant of Abraham, through biology, natural biology, like a student from Maga and Keturah, they are not included. Then, Jacob's twin brother, Esau, is also not included in this covenant. Now, due to their foundation, I'm talking about the Jews now, of having been conceived by miracle and they've been nurtured through miraculous interventions throughout their history. The Jews have grown up to be spoiled. So they always approach God requiring and requesting for a sign. They almost naturally are prone to look for a sign when it comes to God. So, if God should approach them without a sign, they're not going to recognize that it is God. Because they have been brought up to understand that He's a miracle-working God. The Greek, on the other hand, they search for God through their own understanding, their own logic, their own wisdom. In other words, the disdain and the discontinence fit at the expense of personal reality. This is pride. And actually, it borders on self-righteousness. Because it means that you want to approach God through your own understanding. Rather than approach God through God's standards. The Greeks, as I've told you, represent all humanity who are not descended from Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. Because as at the time that the New Testament was being unfolded on earth, the old promised land was under Hellenism. 
and Hellenism means they have become assimilated Greeks under the reign of the Maccabees, high priest within Jerusalem. And because the new Roman Empire did not seek to read its conquered territory of their individual culture and language, it allowed those cultures who have submitted to Rome's supremacy to survive. Hence, the Greek language and culture became intertwined with the Hebrews, and that's the birth of Hellenism. In fact, history confirmed that when Alexander the Great brought his troops to conquer Judea, Judea, the elders of Jerusalem actually welcomed him with an open hand. They threw wide the gates of Jerusalem for him because the prophet Daniel had prophesied that the Greek would rule the world before the Messiah rose it. So they did not offer any opposition. And this contamination with the Greek philosophical approach to life contributed to why the Jews misinterpreted Daniel's prophecy. And it's one of the reasons why they had quickly assimilated into the Greek culture and language at the expense of their own. Especially after Epiphanes, one of the Assyrian princes, who was defeated in his attempt to conquer Rome before Rome became the superpower. I mean, the, the Assyrian prince is one of those that was descended from the four empires to which the Greek empire was divided into after the sudden death of um, Alexander the Great. So all the four generals were you know, scrabbling to conquer the whole empire of uh, Greece, but they couldn't. So in the long run, they had to settle for their own fiefdom, so they divided the empire into four. So one of the princes of this four empire is Epiphanes, and is a Syrian. And in his own attempt to build his own empire, he tried to conquer Rome, which was a rising power in those days. But he failed. So when he was coming back from the attempt on Rome, he turned his rage on Jerusalem, and uh, he desecrated the temple, just as Daniel had prophesied. This was in an attempt to subjugate the Jews once and for all. So, uh, the years of assimilating into the Greek culture had taught the Jews to become doubtful of whatever is not very favorable. They now approach things, including their own scriptures, with logic. So, their foundation of you know signs and wonders, miracles, has now been contaminated with also including looking for logical conclusions. In fact, they now judge miracles by logic rather than by faith as they used to. Therefore, for the Jews, the advent of Jesus Christ as a suffering Messiah was a stumbling block to salvation because they had been expecting a mighty king after the order of uh, David who will literally restore their kingdom to them. For Gentiles, the story of salvation through Christ is foolishness because common sense dictates that the death of a man on a cross, even if it was conceived without human DNA, could not possibly atone for the sins 
of the world. Things like murder, things like uh, brutal killing, things like uh, rape and all this. They don't think that the death of a man can just act, you know, atone for that. Note also that uh, the term Greek came to represent not only Hellenized Jews, but also all the descendants of Noah, apart from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's branch of Shem, who had become known as the Hebrews or the Jews. Okay? Now, from the first world empire of Nimrod to the time of the Assyrians to the Babylonians to the media, I mean, mid, 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 media, media Persians, <laughs> uh, I struggle with that word, and to the Greeks and to the Romans and to the Holy Roman Empire, to all humanity today who are not from Abraham. and Jacob blood lineage. They are the one that we now call the Greeks or the Illinois world or the pagan world or the Gentile. Much like our contemporary world today where logic and science had also seemingly disproved most of the biblical account of creation. And many have therefore concluded that the Bible is consequently an inadequate authority on mankind. And therefore, they doubt the very existence of the entity that is called God. Unfortunately, that is what we have today. That is what logic has done. Logic has battered, you know, an innate and inherent unbelief in humanity. So that people are prone to doubt even the existence of a God who created this world. But the fact is that science has not really disclaimed any assertions of the Bible till today. But rather, science has consistently and unknowingly ended up confirming the Bible. So it is the subconscious reasoning of Kanama that concludes that the Bible is factually wrong. The Bible was accused of falsely claiming that the earth is cyclical rather than flat, as logic at once claimed. But now, human logic has finally accepted that the earth is a globe. <laughs> they disclaimed with the help of uh, carbon dating fossils, the skeletons retrieved in the heart, proves that uh, the Bible's seeming declaration that the heart is about 6,000 years old is wrong. I said seeming because nowhere did the Bible specifically give an age for the world 
I mean, you can read the Bible. There's no way where it is written that the Bible said that the world is so, so, so years old. The Bible never said that. We were simply told in the book of Genesis 1, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form. It was void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of the Lord God was hovering over the face of the water. That is what the Bible said in the, in the introduction of Genesis. What science and logic has failed to understand, because they read the Bible with kind of intentions instead of with reverent humility, was that the very Genesis chapter 1, with the hypothesis to disprove the creation account, is the same one which proves the authenticity of God's words. You need to understand that there is a great distance in time between verse 1 and verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1 that I just quoted above. Always remember that the Bible is written in parables. So right there in Genesis, we can also discern the fact that the DNA from fossil bones and carbon dating of historical artifacts and then dead uh, animals or whatever, suggesting that the world was over 6,000 years old, is confirmed because Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is actually the big bang theory that science talks about while verse 2 is in actually the recreation story of the world so there's a difference between the two the first one is the creation chapter 1 is creation the origin of everything and then verse 2 is the recreation of the world so it means that something happened between chapter 1 and chapter 2 to bring about a recreation. Now, bara is the Hebrew word translated beginning in Genesis chapter 1, which means brought out of nothing or from the dateless past. So in reality and sequentially, after chapter 1 verse 1 Genesis should have come John chapter 1 verses 1 to 5 which states that in the beginning was the world and the world was with God and the world was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness. And darkness cannot comprehend it. This should have been what we should follow. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Before you now have all the other verses. Achaesis. The original ancient Greek word in John chapter 1, verse 1 also means out of nothing or the dateless past. So the two of them correspond. The Greek word that was used in John chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning. 
archaeus, that's, that's the Greek word. It also means out of nothing or the dateless past. The same word that is used in the Hebrew, the same meaning of the word bara that was used in the Hebrew of Genesis chapter 1, which is in the beginning. So if you see that they are talking about the same thing. Now, from verse 2, in Genesis 1, is the story of recreation or restoration of the world after it had been made void by darkness. That was why God just spoke to what had been covered by darkness and water to reappear. He didn't create, he was restoring. Yei, in Hebrew, is the word let in English that is used there, which God used in the story of recreation from verse 2. And it is a word of permission rather than the word of creation. It means there should be no more obstacle. Let the hindrances be removed. That is what it means. So hear me clearly. We do not need a scientific proof that God exists because science itself is neither a creator nor God. Instead, science studies creation. Everything that came to being needs a cross. That is science. This is the law of casual, I mean causality. Einstein, in his theory of general relativity, concluded that the new universe was not eternal because it has a beginning. So if the universe has a beginning, it means then the universe has a cause. Something caused the beginning. Now, according to the Big Bang Theory, there was no space, there was no time, there was no matter before the Big Bang happened. Hence, the universe had emerged out of nothingness. Well, since the universe could not have created itself, then it is logical to conclude that nature and the universe itself are just the big effect that was caused by a very precise, intelligent, and powerful personal entity who is capable of existing beyond time, beyond space, and beyond matter, and who is able to make choices clearly observable given the undoubted attention and care and systematic approach with the world was made and created with. I hope you are getting my point here. That entity we are describing above is just another definition for God. And I mean the Christian God. Because there is only one true God. Others are just fake. Hence, Jesus could confidently declare in Revelation chapter 1 verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end, says the Lord. The one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. The Almighty. That is Jesus Christ describing himself. An American agnostic astronomer and planetary physicist, Robert Jastrow, 
in his book, God and the Astronauts. I hope you understand that an agnostic is somebody that does not believe in God. Now, in his own book, God and the Astronomers, he all but confirms that the all essential elements of the Big Bang theory actually confirms biblical creation story. Now, so my question then, who created God? Remember that everything that came to be needs a cause. Well, since God did not come to be, he doesn't need a cause because he is eternal. In another minute, hear me very clearly. God does not exist. He himself is existence because for in him, we live, we move, we have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, I'm quoting the Bible in Acts chapter 17. Verses 28 to 29. For we also are his offering. Therefore, since we are the offering of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something that is shaped by art or man's devices. Just as scientists used to think that the universe is eternal until science disprove it, God is the cause of everything. The universe is the effect, as astronomers and atheists like Jastro are now discovering. So, evidence is not a substitute for faith. Let me repeat that. Evidence is not a substitute for faith. Believing in God is not a matter of proof or evidence. It is a matter of the will. Are you hearing me? It's a matter of the will. You've got to want to do it so that you can have peace that you are seeking. And if you don't want to make that choice, no amount of evidence is going to convince you otherwise. That is why salvation is a personal choice. An eternal life is an eternal and individual decision. Eternal life is an individual decision. Did you hear me? Eternal life is an individual decision. It's your choice. Therefore, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25, continued, that because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, Luke 11 verse 14 also said, Therefore, the wisdom of God also said that we send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and some they will persecute. So we see clearly that the wisdom of God is quite different from the wisdom of man. The duty of prophets and apostles is to impart this wisdom of God rather than the wisdom of man to mankind. And the natural result of the divine wisdom is that it will generate as well as attract persecution and hatred. It is normally not popular and it is not readily acceptable. In Corinthians chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14 the Bible says but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God because they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is 
rightly judged by no one. Please note here that we have two sources of knowledge in this world. It is either by revelation or by the sense. Man was created to live by revelational knowledge. Hear me very clearly. Man was created to live by revelational knowledge. Hence, when God recreated the world and placed man at Eden, he gave us only one instruction to tend to the garden, but he forbid us from eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge of what is good and what is bad. Did you hear that? When God created, recreated the world and placed man at Eden, he gave us only one simple instruction, and that is to tend to the garden, but he forbid us from eating the fruit of tree of knowledge of what is good and what is bad. This is the first indication to show that mankind was not created to live by sense knowledge. We are supposed to live by revelation and knowledge. God will come in the cool of the day to fellowship with man. It was a relationship that was as spiritual as it was physical. And this is what God still wants, even today, for us to see things from the spiritual sense and understand spiritual order, so that like Adam, it will be easy to see a situation exactly as it was in the mind of God himself. Therefore, whatever Adam named the animals was exactly what they were because he was living in the spirit. But from the moment that he and Eve ate the fruit, man fell. And from that time, we begin to live by logic and sense. The devil said, if you eat it, you will know. This is sense knowledge. The devil says, God does not want you to know. Because the knowledge of evil and of good demands responsibility for the choices that are made. Let me repeat that to you. God does not want you to know. Because the knowledge of good and evil demand responsibility for the choices that are made. So, if you did not know, then grace covers you, and God is free to love you unconditionally. Are you hearing me? That is why he said, we should not eat that fruit, so that he can love us unconditionally, because we did not know. Then, you are not responsible for evil. But the moment you know the difference between good and bad, you have a moral responsibility to choose good as God would. Otherwise, you will become liable to God's retribution for choosing evil. And that is what the devil wants. That was why he tricked Adam and Eve to eat the fruit. So that we become liable to God's punishment. Then the Bible said that Eve saw it, she desired it, and she ate it. Then she gave her husband to eat. So, it is evident that man fell because of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life by responding to the devil's temptation that compels us to want to know in order that we might become like God. It is ironic because before eating the fruit, we are actually like God. He created us in his image. 
but we didn't we didn't we 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 we, we didn't grasp that into our senses the devil tricked us to think that we are not in his image and we are not like god so he told us the only way you can be like god is to know like god and he fooled us not knowing that by knowing we become responsible for whatever evil that we do and then it deprives god from loving us unconditionally so the greatest casualty of sin in man's life is that it stole away and caused the withdrawal of divine grace from man. What you, when you understand that man was not created to live by sight, but by faith, you will understand that faith is rooted in revelation. Sense knowledge comes from the things that we can see, we can hear, we can touch, and we can feel. That is why science is based upon those things. That everything must have a logical explanation. So there is no faith in science. It is based on provable facts. But in revelational knowledge, it is by faith. You must believe it before you can even see it. This is the bane of apostasy in Christianity today. Because many so-called believers actually are waiting to see before they totally release their mind to absolute believing. This is a form of idolatry of self which has exalted man above God. Because rather than believe God's testimony of himself at face value and obeying him, majority want God to come to their own level by first proving his own existence and omnipotence to them before they consequently believe in him. In another popular scripture from 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 11-12, to 12, the Bible teaches that then God said to Solomon, Because this is, was in your heart, and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life for yourself, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches, wealth, and honor such as none of the kings. Have I who were before you, nor shall any after you have like that. We see in the above scripture a vivid difference between revelational knowledge and sense knowledge. God is telling us here your sense knowledge searches for riches, honor, wealth, destruction of enemies, and long life anytime it encounters God. Or senses divine presence. Check out the average church or religious gathering today. Or look at your social media sites and you will discover that the above is always the sum total of the preaching, the ministering, the prophesying, the motivations, as well as the demands and responses of both so called men of God and their congregation. This is the basis of religion. But this is not what God wants from us. God wants us to seek after his own interest. God made Solomon king in order to shepherd the nation of Israel aright. Solomon sought for God's wisdom and enablement to excel in this task. Thereby, he aligned himself with the interest of God, knowing that only through God can he succeed because the kingdom belongs to God. Consequently, God gave him 
what he did not even request for. God gave him riches, honor, wealth like no other. Do you understand why Jesus told us in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, that we should not worry about the things that we shall eat and drink or wear. These are the primary content of pagans' mindset. This is Jesus talking. Jesus himself said that that, that is what pagans feed their mind on. So when you are the type that all you're thinking about is what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, then you know that you are a pagan because that's the pagans' mindset. Rather, he said, you who are of me, who are believers, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then every other thing will be added unto you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow we worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Did you get that? Each day has its own trouble. So why worry about tomorrow? Just focus on serving and pleasing God today. And your tomorrow will be taken care of by God in his own way. This was precisely what prophet Jeremiah meant in Jeremiah 29 verse 11. When he says, I God knows the thoughts that I have for you. They are taught of good and not of evil. To give you the very good thing, the desires of your heart, but you must first submit to my will rather than to your own whims. Solomon sought the interest of God. He sought for the wisdom of God. He sought for the mind of God. He never for once asked God for wealth and riches. So God gave to him the things he didn't ask for in addition and as bonus. You cannot understand from the actions of Solomon and the words of Jesus Christ quoted above that the definition of righteousness is simply to genuinely seek after the interests of God. That is what it means to be righteous. To seek after the interests of God genuinely with all of your heart and mind. When you do this, then they say of you that you are righteous and everything else will be added unto you. Abraham never asked God for money. Go and read your Bible. All he did was seek after what was right. He sought to obey God, even where logic says it was impossible. And God rewarded him with the wealth of unbelievers. Now that you understand this background, you cannot understand why the church is at it is today. Unfortunately, preachers teach the word of God from the realm of logic rather than from the realm of the spirit. This is why they are always teaching seminars on such themes as three keys to answered prayers, five keys to success, the seven steps to prosperity, the five ways of uh, abiding in His presence, the eight ways to holiness, the nine stages of righteousness, and any other subject that catches their fancy. This is the one area where the Holy Spirit is calling the Bride of Christ to attention in this end time. That we must return to the spiritual. We need to be children of faith rather than of sight. We need to walk by the Spirit rather than by logic. There is need for revival of revelational knowledge instead of entanglement of logic in the body of Christ. It has to be demonstrated in our daily lifestyle. Only then 
can we be able to access the things of God effectively, effectually, for our good and for the glory of God and for the establishment of the kingdom of God here on earth and eventually the fulfillment of divine will for the world. Amen. I believe that the word has blessed you today. I pray in the name which is above all names that your soul and your spirit will be open to revelation and knowledge. And that the old of says knowledge over your life and destiny and decisions will be broken in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that the Holy Spirit will become real to you. And that what, what lost in Eden when man fell will be restored to you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you wish to contact me, you can get across through the link that is attached to these audio messages. You can also check out my site, Act of Apostle Thompson, on YouTube and also on Anchor FM online broadcasting channel. Act of Apostle Thompson, Eternal Gospel News. The Lord bless you until I come your way again. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning all. This is Apostle Thompson from Benin Republic. Again, here to share the word of God with you. I've um, started a series on the New World Order. And um, this is part two that we're going to consider today by the grace of God. And this part two is simply titled The Origin of Viruses and Plagues. By the way, this uh, topic, the New World Order, is available in a book format published on amazonbook.com okadabook.com and also rakutenkobobook.com so you can get your copy there where I dealt with these subjects uh, in a much more detailed fashion in the books uh, so this uh, audio version is just um, a brief summary of these books and I trust that the Lord will use it to help us in these end times that we are living in to prepare us as Christians and to also fortify us as believers who are witnesses in a generation of apostates now the first thing to realize here is that the church of God is never and was not supposed to be a victim of sicknesses 
of viruses. I mean, that is clear from the scripture. I am the Lord that heals you. That is what the Lord said. So if this, if he's the Lord that heals us, then it means that the church is not supposed to be victim of sicknesses, the viruses. The Bible clearly told us that when Jesus came, Acts 10 verse 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ, the Holy Ghost and power went about doing good, healing those who are oppressed of the devil. For God is within. So even when he came in, a, in person, he went about healing the sick and delivering those who are oppressed of the devil. So sicknesses and viruses are not supposed to be the portion of the church of God. And by the church of God, I mean the redeemed of the Lord. I'm not talking about denomination here, but I'm talking about the body of Christ. Okay. Therefore, the church should never have been included in any list of non-essential services that needed to be shut down during any pandemic anywhere in the world. We must realize that the true church of God is a special group of individuals that were called out from diverse ethnic, religious, racial, denomination, linguistic, political, and social backgrounds into a single unit of heaven-born people. Okay? That is why the Greek word translated church in the New Testament is actually ecclesia. That is, the garden of those who are summoned. Did you hear that? The gathering together of those who are summoned. So it is a song, it is a summoned only gathering. You have to be invited for it. And then when you eat the call, you become part of that group by accepting Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verses 10 to 13 says, Jesus was in the world. The world was actually made through Jesus Christ. And the world did not do him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But listen, as many as received him, to those who received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. So this process of being born again of the will of God was what Jesus Christ himself described to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 3, saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So when we are born again, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, it means that we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation, his own special people that we may proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people but we are now the people of god who had obtained mercy now which we did not have before so apostle paul further confirming this in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 that actually if anyone is in christ that person is a new creation, is a different special now, like the one that was never made before. So it's a, it's a new thing. All things are passed away, the old, all things have become new. So Christianity is an exchange of kingdoms, of moving from the past into the future. 
of exchanging loyalties, positions, and realities. How new have things become? Brand new. It means that I'm no longer bound to sickness. If I was once a sickler, I'm no longer born to bondages. If I was once in bondage, I'm no longer born to sin. If I was once, you know, a chronic sinner, because Christ Jesus Christ Himself bore my sin in His own body on the tree, so that I, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. And by His stripes, I was healed. Because we were like sheep going astray, but we have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our soul. That is First Peter chapter two, verses twenty-four to twenty-five. In other words. Salvation was an exchange of position, of reality, and of destiny. The righteousness of Jesus Christ replaced my sin. His health replaced my sicknesses. His liberty took the place of my bondages. Somebody getting me? So his residence, his abode, that is heaven, replaces my destination as a sinner, which is hell. Does this mean that I consequently cannot even fall sick or be in bondage or tumble into sin ever again? No, 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 no. It's still possible that I can be in bondage. It's still possible that I can fall sick. It's still possible that I can still commit sin if I refuse to conform my will and my actions to the word and instructions of God. Hence, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 to 17 warns. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. So if anyone defies the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? So a true Christian is the temple of God. Because God dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. Sent at the instance of Jesus Christ. Enabling the Godhead to become active in our daily life as we submit to his promptings. Unfortunately, the physical church building where believers weekly gathers to celebrate sacraments have become erroneously synonymous with the actual temple of God in this generation. And to keep that physical symbol shut down in times of natural emergency or disaster is morally and spiritually wrong because the church building is supposed to be a place actually of refuge, which is as important, if not more important, than hospitals. Yeah. I'm not missing words, I mean it. The church is as important, if not more important than hospitals. Because doctors will tell you in reality that what they do is they care. It is God who cures. So the church is much more important than the hospital. The Bible assured us in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12 to 16. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and I have chosen this place, it's talking about the temple, for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now, when I shut heaven and there is no rain, or I command the locusts to devour the land, or I send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from the wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, then I will heal their land. 
now my eyes will open and my ears will be attentive to prayer made in this place for now i have chosen and sanctified this house so that my name may be there forever and my heart and my heart will be there perpetually so did you see that now the church is where the presence of god dwells perpetually and god has already told us if we humble ourselves before him and we call upon him in that house he will answer us so during emergency during pestilence during pandemic the church is supposed to be open so that believers can go there to pray so that the sick can go there to be cured so that the nation the leaders can go there and petition god on behalf of the nation church building must never be shut in times of crisis a temple and synagogues and refuge cities in bible times were never shut during times of crisis in fact they were the primary go-to destination of those seeking shelter answers and understanding of the crisis it is certainly true that we cannot underplay the deadliness of viruses like ebola covid 19 mutations but are they more potent than the almighty god creator of heaven and earth whom we claim to serve my emphatic answer is no in bible times the deadliest and most dreaded disease was leprosy now we did not read that any true priest prophet or king of god ever suffered from them from from leprosy rather the answer is no it's not written in the bible except those who sin and god punished them with that because only those who transgress, transgress righteousness had leprosy the rest were immune by the anointing and were instead used to minister to those who had it the pastor's job therefore is to minister to people in and out of city we are not expected to take breaks or hide during crisis and peter and the apostles were forbidden by law to preach in jerusalem did they console themselves that since jesus christ had died publicly and they had already proclaimed him as the lord with instant miracles it was sufficient for the people to either believe or not no there is government's anger to preach publicly if churches were closed down and pastors take a break because of the virus can they come back after the crisis to start preaching the powerful god again which fool i pray you we believe them so a time of crisis is the time to show god's power a time of pandemic is the time to overcome by the blood of the lamb by our testimony because we do not love our life unto death is the god who immune the whole of israel at goshen to the avenger sword that killed the firstborn child throughout the land of egypt dead today the answer is no so though corona virus is real and deadly and uh, people should follow up precautions advised by health officials but believers must never abandon congregating together to worship god or to suspend going to their respective church buildings for fellowship and ministry we who are prophetic and we understand the book of revelation we know that this worldwide panic that is the response to the coronavirus pandemic is only a test run of how the antichrist will conquer the modern world without any war because god is not the author of fear pastors and church 
should stand up now. We ought to allow ourselves to be persecuted rather than be confronted to the world. Might I add here that Jesus preached to the last day he was arrested. When Herod earlier on tried to stop him, he told the king's messengers that my father walks. I'm also walking. And I will do so today and tomorrow. Then Herod can come for me on the third day. So it means that, like it or not, the date of our death on this earth is already predetermined. So there is nothing you can do to add to it or to remove from it. So why don't you go out blazing for God rather than pining away in your room, hiding from the virus? The only laws that Jesus did not break during his ministry were the laws that did not conflict with his mission of dying for human redemption. The apostles who were his successors and who first experienced the New Testament Jesus Christ had come to institute also repeatedly broke the laws that tried to stop them from openly preaching the gospel. We should obey our leaders. Very true. But Jesus never told us to obey them when there are others contradict our calling to witness to the nations and to disciple the converts. We don't need any special directive other than the Bible. There is neither a call, I mean, get me right, this is not a call to rebellion. It's not an over-spiritualization of faith, neither is it fanatism. This is a call to the world and the powers that be to give to God what belongs to God and give to Caesar that is civil authority. What is this? If they tell us to mask, to observe social distances, to do, we will do that. That belongs to them, civil authority, to prevent spreading. We will do it. But you cannot stop us from going to church to congregate. This is my point here. Some Christian assembly in US have already resisting the shutdown, and as we speak. Although some of them, not all, but some for perverted political reasons rather than for valid secret Christian doctrines, which is why God is not really duty-bound to protect those who are flaunting the government's laws for perverted political reasons. God is not duty-bound to protect such people from the deadliness of such a pandemic. So your motive has to be right for God to defend you. Because God defends his own word and his own truth and your faith in them rather than your idea of what his words and his truth are. Pastors like Tony Spell of the Light Tabernacle Church in Boston Rouge, Luciana, who do was right in consistently holding mass church gatherings during the lockdown in uh, 2020 was wrong to tell uh, the, 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 the media that uh, he, he, they are anti-mask, they are anti-social distances, they are anti-vaccine, just because he personally believes that the vaccine is politically mo mo motivated and we ultimately make people sick, contrary to evidence that the vaccine is not the cause of the sickness. I mean, it is morally wrong for him to publicly campaign against masking and social distancing when it has been proven that this virus can be contracted through direct contact with respiratory droplets of an infected person. 
that is generated through coughing and sneezing. So individuals can also be infected from touching surfaces that have been contaminated with the virus and then touching their own face, e.g. their eyes, their nose, and their mouth. So we can still practice space distancing, nose masking in large gathering while having church. This is why the church is actually one of the most disciplined environments if church authorities chooses to make it so. Because it is the reason why we have ushers to organize worshipers. This was what was practiced in the Republic of Tanzania during the first World War lockdown throughout 2020, when the government there left churches to stay open. But each church ensured that members maintained adequate spacing. They wore masks, they sanitized their hands as they enter and depart for services. The Tanzania model is what has been replicated through the rest of Africa in places where the churches have been reopened, even during the first, second, and subsequent waves of this pandemic, because it is God who delivers and not quarantine. And that is why we see that in Africa, at least, the pandemic has not really become a pandemic. There are people infected, yes, some people are dying from it, yes, but it has not become as serious as it is in that part of the world because we actually obey the rules and we keep our church open that we go there to petition our God and to pray to God. The reason why we, the Gentiles or non-Jews, had the gospel in the first instance was because some people dared the law, some Jews dared the law to preach it to us. Let me tell you something, internet congregating can never replace physical administration. No, no matter how modern the world gets, internet congregation can never replace physical administration. If it was so, Jesus didn't need to go from place to place. Because, I mean, some people might argue that there was no internet in the time of Jesus Christ. It's true. But don't forget that Jesus Christ was omniscience omnipotent and omnipresent. So there was nothing stopping Jesus Christ from manifesting more simultaneously to everybody wanted to minister to in their homes and, and, and ministering to them rather than going from place to place. There's nothing stopping from giving the same power to his apostles. And he gave them power to do miracles. Give them power to cure the sick. Give them power to deliver the captive. Give them power to do all sorts of things in his name and to put the gospel. He could also give them power to appear to people simultaneously, to put the gospel rather than going from place to place. But rather, he said, go you into all the world and preach the gospel. So, internet congregating can never ever replace physical administration. Get this straight. In 1 Peter 3, verses 14 to 17. The Bible says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats. Don't be troubled, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed, for it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for good deeds rather than for doing good. Did you hear that? It is better to suffer for doing good deeds rather than doing evil. 
So if they are going to punish you because you are preaching the gospel and you are evangelizing during pandemic, let them punish you. But at least while you are doing it, make sure that you observe the rules. Mask, okay? Social distance. And then do your evangelism. Now, if they now arrest you or persecute you, then you know that you are just before God. And God can defend you. But if you go around evangelizing, you don't mask, you don't observe social distancing, and you are doing evangelism and public evangelism, then you are breaking the civil law. You are liable to be punished by the law. Let's get it straight. Real miracles occur during persecution. Mark my words, if government succeeds in forcefully suspending church services because of a virus, then the church has failed God. And she has lost both her relevancy and potency in this modern era. To me, this era, this time we are living in, is actually the greatest opportunity to display God to our generation. And if we lost it, we deserve to be governed by the Antichrist. Just like that. Just because older men of God, some older men of God, or some mega church pastors who already have internet based ministries or capacity have kept quiet concerning the shutdown. Does not mean that every other Christian should. Don't ever, don't forget, it was an elder man of God who misled that junior man of God who came out of Judah to rebuke Jeroboam in Israel. So my focus is not on what any so-called elder man of God or mega church pastors have said or are doing during this pandemic. My focus in what is on, on what God has said in the prophecies concerning the end time. And I'm present. I mean. I presently minister around. I wear my face mask. I was social distancing. I, mean, I go all around. Then I report being based here. And even as soon as the border in Africa was open, I flew to East Africa. January last year for ministration. In spite of, I mean, the shutdown. So, if I'm arrested in the process, all well and good. I will wear it as a badge of honor. I've demonstrated my faith in God, who is almighty, by being very visible at a time when the church is being told to be invisible. I could remember the faces of some of the people I visited in East Africa when I flew there early last year. They were really, really blessed. The, 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 the action alone brought faith into their heart and mind that God is real and that this pandemic is below God. So, I mean, this is not the time to keep quiet. If I, I mean, consider this. If animals have been receiving vaccination against coronavirus, some of you don't know it, but for decades now, animals have been receiving vaccination for coronavirus. And then some people somewhere are telling us that there is no cure for human beings, except you force fully quarantine them and shut them in not to go out, then there may actually be an ongoing silent diabolic conspiracy in the play. Okay? So by obeying government order to shut down, churches rather, rather than to offer vocal alternative divine solution. The church is admitting that she is clueless and so we have no moral authority to preach a victorious Christ after this crisis. The truth 
is that very few world leaders are not in Freemasonry or Illuminati. And these two organizations, they are known to have been actively working over the years on the anti-Christian agenda of a one world, one economic government. I mean, this may be news to some people, but America, I mean, United States of America was not founded by Christians as many people have been led to believe by propaganda. That is propaganda. It was not founded by Christians. But I admit, true Christians actually prayed when they were being persecuted in Europe and were led to certain parts of the New World, America to settle But the government that was instituted on those colonies was 88% Freemason. This is history. So it can be verified. Every governmental structure in, in U.S. capital, that is Washington, D.C., was tailored for the Antichrist by deliberate Freemasonry design. George Washington and the founding fathers of America, at least 13 of them, were Freemasons. So, also, as modern era leaders, I mean, I will not be surprised that Obama the Bushes, Reagan and Donald Trump, or even Biden himself are involved in some measure of secret organization that is linked to Freemason, besides their overtly supposed Christianity, whether they call themselves Catholic or Protestants. You can read my book, Apocalypse Babuka End Time Matrix, on the origin of religion and the one world government, and also Grand Zero Prophetic, Mystery Babylon, on the founding of the United States of America, the Catholic Church, and Freemason worldwide. We all have our placements in the ministry, in the body of Christ, and one of my own is to awake his church to the sign of the times that we live in. I'm neither a teacher nor a theologian. My public schooling is still ongoing, by the way, under the professorship of the Blessed Holy Spirit, who alone owns the rights to the Bible because he inspired its writing and its interpretation. The Bible is a continuous story and as such should never be interpreted on the basis of isolated scriptures. That, for example, there is one in Isaiah 26 verse 20 that some pastors and religious organizations have been referring to in order to justify the temporary shutdown of churches during pandemic. I mean, but the truth is you cannot understand that scripture on its own without first understanding its context, its pretext, and its foretext. Its pretext is from, is based on the coming judgment of the earth as seen or revealed to Isaiah. This is stated, I mean, it's stated for the very end of the last day. And it started, this, this judgment that he was talking about started from chapter 24, not chapter 26 that they are using to justify uh, uh, quarantine. In chapter 24, verse 1, the prophet saw the Lord lay waste to the whole act. He devastates the act. He twists and distorts its face and scatters the inhabitants of the act. This is a future event which is in no way confirming what the world is currently experiencing today. Now, in verse 21 of that same chapter, 
24. Isaiah further buttressed that he was talking about the end time by saying, It will happen in that day that the Lord will visit and punish the host of heaven. This is talk and, and amplified Bible, amplified it, fallen angels of heaven on high and the kings of earth. Now, you all know, no kings, no present current kings, presidents, world leaders are being punished now. Neither have we seen any fallen angel tumble down from the heavenlies. On the contrary, only countless innocent citizens are being killed and mass by this coronavirus. So this Isaiah prophecy from chapter 24 to 26 are talking about future events. In chapter 25, verses 6 to 8, we further see that it is talking about the millennial reign of Christ Jesus on the earth. What will happen around that time from Mount Zion? said, the Lord of hosts will prepare a banquet for all peoples who have been saved to welcome Israel on earth by destroying the covering that is Satan and his worst system epitomized by the Antichrist that has been cast on all peoples and the veil of death that is woven and spread over all of the nations because the wage of sin is death and the salvation of Christ and those who resurrect to reign with him plus those on earth mostly Israelites during the Antichrist reign who receive Christ Jesus Christ has passed from death to eternal life. Therefore he will swallow death and abolish it for all time. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and he will take away the disgrace of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Now, chapter 26, where ministers now quote to Joshua Corinthians, is actually speaking about the election of Israel for whom Jesus Christ had come to rescue from the Antichrist. The people of Israel, having finally repented and acknowledged the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we now rejoice in his salvation and boast of their city's defense because Christ has come. Notice that chapter 26 vividly recollected and described what they have gone through and how they have been saved. So it is not a fresh prophecy, but rather it's an explanation of the events already recorded in chapter 24 and chapter 25 and the reward of being true to God. This is the context from which verse 20 of chapter 26 can now be interpreted. Now, before that, in verses 13 to 15, to mention a few, Isaiah described the gratitude of Israel and their testimony. O Lord our God, other masters, that is the Antichrist, from time of exile to Jesus Christ's coming, Besides you have ruled over us. He's talking about the Gentile nations that has ruled over Israel. But through you alone we confess your name. The wicked deed will not live again. Or rather, the wicked dead, sorry, will not live again. The spirit of the dead will not rise again and return. Therefore, you have punished and destroyed them. You have wiped out every memory of them. You have increased the nations because now Israel is joined by resurrected gentle saints and the kingdom of this earth are now compared to acknowledge Jesus Christ as king over all for a thousand years. The Bible went on, you are glorified. You have extended all the borders of the land. Then verses 16 to 20 describe the situation of Israel under the Antichrist when Christ Jesus arrived to the rescue. 
That's why 21 says, listen carefully. The Lord is about to come out of the heavenly places to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their wickedness. The earth will reveal the bloodshed upon her and will no longer cover her. And it continued in chapter 27 with the fourth text, which showed it as a future event of end time because Levitian, the flame serpent, is another name for Satan, who is the dragon in Revelation and the serpent in Genesis. Now, does verse 20 then justify the present act quarantine? No, because this is not the fulfillment of that prophecy. The Antichrist has not yet ruled on the earth. The rapture has not yet taken place. Death has not yet been captured and put in hell, as Revelation and Isaiah said here. Neither has the fallen angels, the fleeing serpent, it is it been punished, nor has the whole earth been scattered. Rather, what we see being put in place is clueless, powerful men. They are fearfully and unconsciously working to institute a new world order that will allow Satan to bring his own begotten son, the Antichrist, to act, to first deceive the whole world and Israel with peace and solution to their problems before turning against true Christianity and Israel. Which is why I firmly believe that the true church must start to resist any unjust laws from now on because the blood of Jesus Christ is a viable alternative to any man-made inventions and protections. This viable alternative should be promoted now during the crisis, not after the crisis, because to wait until after the pandemic to noise the effectiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ against every ailment is to present to the world what the modern church has metamorphosed into. From decades of espousing a watered-down Roman version of salvation that we have become toothless and we are unable to save. Satan is using this pandemic crisis to demystify the modern church and to render her useless. I mean, ask yourself, will Elijah, David, Moses, any of the judges and the prophets in the Old Testament, or Peter, or Paul, or Philip, or John the Beloved, or any of the disciples and apostles of the first era New Testament, hide at home on quarantine at a period like this? Even though God quarantined Israel at Goshen during the plagues of Egypt, I beg to disagree that it was Goshen that saved Israel in Egypt. No, no, no. It wasn't quarantine in Goshen that saved them. Rather, it was the blood of the Lamb that saved them. And since it was God who was destroying Egypt, Israel had to be indoors. God is not destroying the whole world now, even though he's permitting the crisis to work out his overall will of the return of Christ. So we should not hide. If we can't prove that we are immune to coronavirus by freely moving around, ministering in person for all those people in the world to see that our God is able, we only remain at best motivational speakers, toothless dogs that can never bark. A light for the world I contend does not have. I don't believe isolated scripture should be used to justify inaction. Because we both know that anyone can find a scripture to justify his or herself from the Bible. There are certain Christians in America now, in spite of the lockdown, who are going door to door and in street corners, handling our supplies to people and telling them the God 
is alive. This is what we should be doing, wearing masks while observing, three feet social distancing or whatever, rather than just sit at home doing nothing. The likes of Dr. Paul, in a chair of Dynamics Ministry in Abuja, Nigeria, should be emulated. He volunteered himself and his wife to treat and to check on COVID-19 patients while donating preventive and safety equipment. We should not be echoing the deadliness of the virus, but rather we should be noising the potency of the blood of Jesus Christ to neutralize any virus. This is what is needed now. And we must also bear in mind that defying evil must not be confused with either rebelling against evil authority or daring fit or tempting God. No, no, no. If David had not there Goliath, but instead had behaved as other covenant Israelites of his day, hiding in the valley, quarantined from the Philistines, how would Israel have been saved from Goliath and the Philistines? Or machine? Are pastors' own lives more precious than those whom they claim to shepherd? Do true shepherds hide themselves and their sheep from white animals or just stand wash all night long over the sheep to ward off white animals? That is the difference between a true shepherd and a hireling. Arrest my kids. Now let's do a, do back, a, a, a brief background on viruses so that we can understand the ongoing one. The nearest plague to coronavirus that the world has experienced is the 1918 plague, which was the deadliest in the 20th century, it was stuck the Spanish flu, and it killed about 675,000 people alone in America. Please note here <clears throat> that according to scientific research, and for reasons not known by science, before and after 1918, most influenza pandemic always have their roots in Northeast Asia before spreading to the rest of the world. But the 1918 pandemic defied the norm. Rather, it spread more or less in three distinct waves during a one-year period in 1918 to 1919. From United States of America to Europe to Asia to North America, the first wave was limited to United States of America in March 1918. A second and more highly infectious fall wave spread globally from September to November 1918, while in many countries the third wave occurred in 1919. Secondly, most plagues also have irrefutable linkages with animals, especially within the category that the Bible in Old Testament called unclean. In books such as Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, verses 2 5, it says, You shall not eat any detestable thing. These are animals which you may eat ox, sheep, goat, deer, gazelle. Root there, white goat, mountain goat, antelope, and the mountain sheep. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cord or have clothing, hooves, you shall not eat, such as these the camel, the air, the rock, irax, they chew the cord, but they do not have clothing hooves. They are unclean for you. Also, the swine is unclean for you because it has clothing hooves, yet does not chew the cord. You shall not eat their flesh, nor even touch their bodies. Verses 12 to 19. But this you shall not eat. Again, the eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, the falcon, the kite after their kinds, every raven after its kind, ostrich, the short-eared owl, owl, the seagull, the hawk after their kinds, the little owl, the screech owl, the white owl, 
jackdaw, the current vulture, the fisher owl, the stock, the iron after its kind, the upu, and the bird. Also, every creeping thing that flies is unclean for you. They shall not be eaten. Verse 21 says, You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to you know, unbelievers and aliens who are living within your gates. They may eat it. But you, who have been bought, blood bought, who are covenant children, you cannot eat it. You may sell it to foreigners, but you are only people to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Can you imagine? I mean, because you are holy to God, you are not supposed to do these things, but you can give it to foreigners. <laughs> so it's not that this is not edible, it's edible. It's not that it's not nutritious, it's nutritious. But the point is this because of your sanctification and your calling, you are not supposed to eat it. That's what God is saying, yeah. But people eat it today. Anyway, in an article for the online Imagine Infectious Diseases website titled 1918 Influenza, the mother of all pandemics. Jeffrey K. Tuberen Bridger of the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, Rockville, Maryland and USA, and David M. Morin of the National Institute of Health, Beth Seder, Maryland, USA. They wrote that the impact of the 1918 pandemic was not limited to 1918 and 19. In fact, all influenza A pandemics since that time and did almost all cases of influenza A worldwide, excepting human infections from a virus such as the H5 one and the H7 7 have been caused by descendants of the 1918 virus, including the drifted H1N1 viruses and the reassorted H2, H2, that is the Asian flu, and the H3, N2 viruses. The latter, are composed of key genes from the 1918 virus updated by subsequently incorporated avian influential genes that code for novel surface proteins, making the 1918 virus indeed the mother of all pandemics. In other words, strains for the 1918 virus mutated into the Asian flu of 1957, which disappeared from humans, but continued in re related lineage Uzutkali in pigs until in March from a laboratory freezer in 1977. Then the H392 2011 human flu, which were identified in Native American pigs in 2010. So they continued to circulate endemically and epidemical. Are you getting the point now? The 1918 flu is like the mother of all these modern flu that you are seeing now. Because it mutates. The Spanish flu was so deadly that even the death of John General of the United of America, I mean, he warned that it will put an end to civilization if it was not checked within two weeks. Now, the panic shutdown of national borders, first max mandate, social distancing measures encoded by WHO at the onset of this corona pandemic in 2020 were all actually premised on the lessons that the world learned from the Spanish flu plague. Rather than any conspiracy to introduce the one world government, let's that make that clear. 
the clay first got notoriety in America, in the rural settlement, in Ashcroft County, in Kansas, where the first cases were noticed as people began, became suddenly sick. They were coughing, they were sneezing, and they have January, I mean, general body weaknesses. The virus was believed to have broken out as a result of interaction. Hear this. Interaction with infected peaks was what brought it in America. Although the death from the flu and pneumonia in the United States of America had previously risen sharply in 1915 and 1916 because of major respiratory diseases, it was not nationally reportable disease. And uh, they didn't really have diagnostic criteria for influenza and pneumonia by 1918. But the local doctor sent a report to the public health service in Kansas City. Unfortunately, nobody was sent to investigate the situation because it was assumed that the virus was just a minor harmless flu like the one they had previously and that it was going to pass. So they informed the local authority to deal with it and they didn't think about it any longer. Now, recall that this is in 1918, when the United States of America was involved in World War I, and young men were answering the government's call to draft for war. Consequently, young people who felt no symptoms of the flu from Ascal, Kansas, also left their hamlet in Ascal, I mean Ascal, to be drafted in the city, so that the fort really where the army was drafting people was soon overwhelmed by newly recruited soldiers who were consequently overcrowded into available sleeping quarters. By March of 4, 1918, an outbreak of the flu surfaced at that uh, fort with as many as 500 people instantly hospitalized within a week. Fortunately, within a month, the number of patients who are snazzy coughing or vomiting dwindled to the level where military authorities believe that the flu had passed its cost. Now, many of these soldiers were subsequently posted to Europe to help win the World War I. Please note here also that these viruses or plagues usually come in three waves, as I've already told you before. Three waves. That's why I'm not surprised what's going on in the world today and people are shouting. I've said this as far back as 2020, when I released my first video on this, it comes in three waves. The first wave in 1918 was what was witnessed at Kansas, where the Azon was over. Unfortunately, USA ignorantly transported oblivious but infested troops from Fort Riley barracks in Kansas to the front line in France. Consequently, they spread the virus along the path of the war to Belgium, to Netherlands, to Germany, to Italy, to North Africa, to England, to Portugal. And as this virus grew, it mutates and become more deadly at its top. By May of 1918, reports of troops falling ill in the front line flooded back to the US. And it wasn't long after that that the civilian population in the war zone area became infected as well. Few areas around the world stay untouched. For there were recorded deaths in Asia, in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America, as well as in remote Pacific and Arctic islands. The only major country in the world then 
that did not experience the 1918 pandemic was Spain, who had quickly executed a complete lockdown of our land, sea, and air territorial domain as soon as the illness broke out in neighboring Portugal. And it implemented a national policy of non-alignment during the war. So it didn't send troops to the war and wasn't involved in the war. Consequently, it was the Spanish media that was reporting the most authentic news about the plague to the whole world because other European powers and the US were deliberately under-reporting the outbreak in order to maintain morale at home and also in the war front. This was how the flu became known as the Spanish flu because it was Spain that was reporting it, not because it is Spain that brought it to the world. But Spain is actually the only country that didn't experience that way. From Portugal, the flu spread to the Scandinavian countries, then to Greece, to Russia, to India, the port in Mumbai, to Asian countries such as China, Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, I mean, yes, and then to West Africa, to Kenya, to South Africa, to Peru, to South America, Japan, Colombia, Nicaragua, Chile, Austria, New Zealand, killing countless people along its path. The first symptoms, we are horrible chills, chills that you can cure, diarrhea and nausea. This is the first simple symptoms of this, of that virus. But then the secondary level of is pneumonia that now add hallucination to it, muscle pains, blindness, and paralysis and fatigue, as well as explosion of the eardrum. Some were very fatal at this last at this stage. Others will begin to bleed from their nose, from their toes, and from their skin. So people begin to turn blue, which is a signal to medical attendants that the victim has reached the point of no return. He or she will die. Hence, another name for the Spanish flu was the blue death. According to the Kansas Historical Society website report on the second wave of the flu epidemic in 1918. The virus mutated again, and deaths were being reported in Boston, Massachusetts, by August. In September, outbreaks were reported in California and Texas. By October 1918, 24 countries are reported cases of influenza, and many are several deaths. The Spanish flu was different from other strains of the flu because of how quickly it passed from person to person and the age group that it actually targeted. Most flu strains affected young people and the elderly and those without strong immune system. Did you hear that? Strong immune system. The main victims of the Spanish influenza were aged from 20 to 40 and were typically elderly individuals. This is why it was a worldwide pandemic. Returning soldiers from the World War in 1918 also kick-started the third wave in America and it spread from U.S. to Central America and to Canada. Because of its devastating effect on Philadelphia during the, this third wave, American government finally acted to unfold some of the measures that have been implemented for COVID-19 today. They borrowed rightly from what the Spanish people do, did. They improvised on it. They banned public meetings. They limited social uh, movement. They closed schools and courts and uh, city services and also churches. 
<laughs> but ironically, they left the bars open then because they thought then that alcohol could prevent the flu. So Africans today who think that alcohol can cure coronavirus, uh, you are not the first to think it. America in 1918 thought so too. But eventually the bars were also shut down when they understood that alcohol could neither prevent nor cure the infection. Nurses and doctors came out of retirement to help them, but they were insufficient so that even able-bodied people offered their help because they were dying every day there. It was reported that the stench around Philadelphia was so thick because corpses were decomposing in the public side because there was lack of space to bury them. Those alive were too weak to carry the dead to the burial ground. Now, understand that most of America, as much of the whole world then, were rural in those days. The development you see in the world today uh, is not that old. It's less than 100 years old, the development you are seeing in the world today. As at that time, most of them were still underdeveloped. So cities were mostly crowded with dirty streets and unplanned houses. One of the lessons that the world learned from the Spanish flu is to set a world standard for city planning, to inculcate adequate spacing, housing cleanliness, and proper street sanitary facilities. At this period in Philadelphia, mandatory social distancing and face mask policy was also implemented. And it is documented history, go and check, that the police then were mandated to shoot anyone in public without a face mask. So people would think that uh, America, you know, enforcing face mask mandate today have become uh, undemocratic. It's because they don't even know the history of their own country. As in 1918 in Philadelphia, police were mandated to shoot anyone in public without a face mask because the official they saw what they have experienced, they saw what is going on in their country, that the whole population is dying. So they have to do something drastic to curtail it. Needless to say, this was due to the very strong resistance that was offered by some anti-mask movement at that time. And you see them today again. They are spreading a lot of rumors through the internet and making people to distrust face masks as if it is something diabolic. By the time that this third wave had abated in Philadelphia, about 13,000 people had died from the plague in that city alone. And it was at its standstill because no one could go to the farm to bring foodstuffs into the city. Neither could anyone go to the stores to bring food to the house because the shelves in the stores were empty. The plague left a country that was faced with food shortage, a people that was wearied from the war and disease and subdued by the grief that it occasioned. Many families were destroyed. Many children were left to be orphans because their parents between ages 20 to 40 had died and the kids became street children for lack of role models. This was why government in modernized society panicked in 2020 when COVID-19 broke out. They feared the worldwide repetition of the after effect of the 1918 plague. So the centralized pandemic protocol already designed by United Nations in the event of an international breakout were hastily implemented in an attempt to curb the spread of Corona. Back in 1918, San Francisco was the only city in of America that escaped the second wave of the plague because she had simply implemented the face masks and social distance and quarantine and not washing and also ban on public gathering mandates. But when it prematurely relaxed these measures after the second wave had passed, 
he could not escape the devastation of the third wave, which left the economy of U.S. shattered with massive food shortages all over. This is why some experts caution today in the aftermath of the first wave of COVID-19 against hasty reopening of cities. But selfish politicians and ignorant people have politicized the issues, especially religious organizations, to confuse the polity and to reinforce unfounded Christian myths concerning Antichrist by the apostate church who are deliberately misinterpreting the scripture for gain and out of ignorance that uh, the, 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 the closure is, 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 is a plot for the article or something like that. The online digital encyclopedia of the American influential epidemic of 1918 to 1919 wrote concerning Boston, Massachusetts, that with the huge military presence in the area and with little warning of the impending doom, the city found itself in the midst of epidemic before officials could react. Swifter action and more forceful leadership by Woodward and Mayor Peters may have mitigated some of the devastation, but this is simply spread much too rapidly for an earlier closure order to have made much of a difference. Physicians and nurses quickly became overwhelmed with the sheer volume of cases. Hospitals had more patients than birds, and even the elevated had difficulty running with so many workers sick. Boston lost 4,794 of its residents to epidemic inflation and pneumonia in the fall of 1918 alone. Combined with winter 1919 epidemic wave, Boston experienced an excess death rate of 710 per 100,000 residents, making it one of the worst hit cities in the United America. Only Pittsburgh and Philadelphia fared worse. According to another online YouTube documentary titled Deadless Plague of the 20th Century, Flu of 1918, uploaded on October 2018 by Chromosomes 8. By the time the plague entered, 3% of the world population had died. In Africa, 15 out of every 1,000 person died. In fact, it is that 1918 plague that brought the rise of the churches, Pentecostal churches in Nigeria, we call Aladura. And that is what gave uh, late Apostle Ayo Babalola of blessed remembrance his reputation as a healer because he went around during that time healing those who are sick from this plague with instant result. In Asia, 35 out of every 1,000 people died. In Latin America, 10 out of every 1,000 people died. In Haiti, 10% of the population died. In Western Samoa, 20% of the population died. And in India alone, just as we see today, 20 million of people died in India alone. Again, I want to point out here that during the 1918 worldwide plague, the sanitary condition of the world then was quite different from what obtains now in terms of standardized hygiene practices, effective communication, and infrastructure. So we have a better chance of surviving than they did if we obey the rules, if we can follow specified health rules, and if our immune system is not compromised. But one grievous mistake 
under the watch of Knights of America that the world made then in the 20th century is what they have also repeated now in the 21st century, both of which confirm my identification of the United States of America as the mystery Babylon that is spoken of in Revelation 17. Check out my book, Grand Zero Prophetic, Mystery Babylon, on Amazon Kobo and Okada Book, Dr. Respective. This mistake is that they locked up the churches in 1918, and now they have repeated the same act. They don't allow the church to function then, and they have now excluded the church from functioning as an essential service that should be running during the pandemic right now. Therefore, the bar God, so to say, to publicly intervene in this situation. The United States of America, which is ostensibly a nation founded on biblical principle, publicly shot God out of our national disaster. They did not bring God into the situation as the ultimate healer and deliverer. Instead, they relied on human preventive measures and locked up, and I mean, they looked to science for vaccination. So, we should not be surprised if this plague leaves its toll on humanity. God only intervenes in the affairs of those who sought for his help. And he will not violate his own will. Neither will he violate our will and our choices, except when it directly involves the scheduled return of Jesus Christ, the advent of the Antichrist, the rapture of the true church, and the last day judgment alone, but not necessarily in the order that I've just stated it. This is because the world is governed by sense knowledge, and Jesus acknowledged that Satan is consequently the god of this present world system. Because Satan operates through the sense, he tempts through the sense. And once the devil has convinced you from your mind, your eyes and your senses will be blinded to the spiritual. Can you imagine what would have happened at the powers that be in this world have put resources together and invited every man of God who had ever preached a healing message of crusade? to come and lead the, the world or the United Nations in a universal healing service against the plague. Or if individual countries have been left to organize national public prayer meetings against the pandemic, instead of shutting down public worship and gathering, the world would have since been rid of this plague. I mean, it is not a fable. Neither is it a folklore that the God of heaven and earth still cures and heals today. I remember when the plague of HIV was raging in Africa in the late 1990s. I was in the suburb of Lome, the capital of the Republic of Togo in West Africa, in a place called Nokafu. I was holding a public evangelistic meeting, and I was praying for the crowd without physically touching any of them. Many present were killed instantly of HIV. I mean, they had arrived at the venue, unknown to me, but trusting in God for healing, and I'd left to come back the following day or the day after with medical reports certifying that they are now tested negative to HIV. So when we say that God cures, we know what we're talking about. That there is no sickness with the name of Jesus Christ cannot demolish, dismantle, and obliterate. So the greatest mistake of the world that was made in 1918 is that it has is what it has repeated in 19, in 2020 as well preventing the churches from being part of the solution to the pandemic. The Bible says in Acts 10 verse 38, but I quoted before, 
how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who consequently went around doing good and healing those who are oppressed by the devil, because God is with him. This is our function today still as representative of God on earth. That was where the government missed it in 1918. And that is why the church helped the government to miss it in this 2020 now. Submitting to shutting down while the world relied on human wisdom. The church should have called out the government as prophet Elisha denounced King Jehoram, who despising divine healing when man arrived in Israel with an impossible demand for the king of Israel to cure his leprosy of his war. Book of 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 8, the Bible said, so it was. And Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me. And we know that there's a prophet in Israel. And so it should be abundantly clear to the true church of God now that this world is not our own. We are just pilgrims that are passing through. We are in the world, but we are not part of the world. So therefore, we cannot make decision for the world. We cannot enforce the rules of God on the world. The fact that secular government can decree the church to be suspended during a pandemic proves beyond doubt that the church is at the mercy of national governments. So the mentality of the church should change from that of building an individual kingdom on this earth to actually working towards inheriting the promised heavenly kingdom of God that is to come. Because it is that kingdom of God that will last forever. Any other kingdom built here in the physical is temporary. It will be destroyed. One of the most terrible consequences of selfishly seeking your own interest instead of God's interest is that you may succeed in having the largest church membership here on earth. You may even build the greatest ministry structure in the world. You may wield unchecked influence over secular authorities and in business circles, but you can still end up disqualified from every kingdom. It is equally possible that while on earth you are known as the Papa, you are well regarded and respected, but on the other side of eternity, you may end up being the very least in the kingdom of God because your earthly works are found to have served no heavenly interest. So we need to stop this mentality of building our own kingdoms, of preaching our own doctrines. We should instead concentrate on the doctrines of God, unveiled in the gospel of Christ Jesus. Scripture has clearly shown that we are not expected to own this act in this age or in this era. Rather, we are to live as pilgrims on earth now. Have you never read the story of Abraham, the father of faith? He lived as a tenant on the land that God had already bestowed unto him. So did Isaac and Jacob. Please, church, think. We are the potential owners of this earth. But for now, we are strangers in this world. Because in this mortal flesh, we cannot actually possess this earth now. It is after true believers have been translated that we shall inherit the art on our return. So let us get our theology right so that the church can actually be able to experience rapture. Now catch a revelation 
concerning this virus. It is not a coincidence that God has designated some animals as unclean for human consumption. Remember that we started by asserting that the wisdom of God is far different from the wisdom of man. God's laws are grievous and his solutions are outrightly stupid. That is what the human mind thinks. God said don't eat it, but science has proven that those animals are very nutritious and it's good for man to consume. Now remember that science is logic and the directive of God not to eat this nutritious animal seems downright foolish to a thinking man. Revelation knowledge said they are unclean, don't eat them, but science logic knowledge says they are nutritious, eat them. Now the question is this, can science reduce with veritable issues that you can verify no more than you or about you than God who created you and allowed your mind to think of scientific facts. Some people will argue that Jesus told Peter in the New Testament not to call unclean anything that he, Jesus Christ has called clean. When twice he saw three trays of unclean food brought to him in a vision. This is a disingenuous interpretation of scriptures because the vision was not about the food but about the people. Hence, it was explicitly interpreted in the same chapter by the arrival of the Gentiles who came to seek the ministry of Peter. Without that vision, Peter would never have gone with the Gentiles, whom the average Israelites is um, then considered to be unclean. So this scripture was just a parable rather than a literal message. And when you use this to justify the eating of unclean food, you cannot turn around to blame Peter for any negativity that will come upon you by consequence. Note here that I'm not telling you that eating unclean food will take you to hell. No, 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 no. People go to hell for rejecting the Lordship and salvation according to the finished work of Jesus Christ. But eating unclean food will either damage your health or cut short your lifespan on earth. Since many people believe in logic, let me give you another scientific fact. That even though these unclean animals are highly nutritious, they are equally the sources of some of the deadliest diseases experienced by man. Every pandemic, I just told you about, since 19, I mean since 1819 and the 1920, has been linked to either rats, pigs, bats, or some other animals included in God's unclean list. This clearly shows that breaching God's dietary rules triggers deadly diseases in man. Some might argue that Apostle Paul had thought that we should not allow anyone to judge us on food because anything can be eaten after being sanctified and received with thanksgiving unto God. Well, my reply to them is, is this. You, who cannot conveniently pray for your slight edict to disappear, but you would finally resort to buying over-the-counter medication for relief. How do you expect that the prayer you mumbled over a food you want to eat out of desire rather than necessity will be answered by God? This is an error. The same devil who blinded Eve's mind to manipulate her into eating the fruit in the Garden of Eden has been manipulating countless today through science 
into blindly eating sicknesses and diseases into their own body system. Have you not read in the scripture what happened? Why Jesus Christ was about to drive out a thousand demons out of a single person? The demons negotiated to be sent away rather than to be judged before their destined time. So Jesus, in his sovereignty, sent the demons into a herd of pigs. Read that scripture thoroughly in Matthew 8, in Mark 5, and in Luke 8. It was Jesus who decided where the demons would go. They didn't ask him to specifically send them into the pigs, but Jesus decided where they would go. He chose the pigs. Why? Because Jesus himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He had forbidden the eating and rearing of those animals in the Old Testament. So in the Gospel, he destroyed the heart of them to underlie the fact that rearing them is as dangerous to human beings as eating them. If pigs were clean, Jesus would never have given the command for demons to enter into the pigs. Jesus knew that these people were contravening divine principles for environmental and spiritual cleanliness. So Jesus was prepared to ruin the economy of a region in order to uphold divine principles. We also learned a lesson here that is important. It is that unclean animals are vectors for unclean spirits. The same Jesus who went about doing good deeds, healing the sea, delivering the captives, actually disrupted the economy of the whole com community to teach us that what God truly delights and while he delights in the prosperity of his own, he also cares about the means that we employ to attain that prosperity. In Christianity, hear me very clearly, the end does not justify the means. Unfortunately, the indigents of this area, they were original descendants of God, Jacob's son, but now they are mixed with the Gentiles that Assyria settled on that land in the Old Testament. They were logical rather than spiritual. They took the drowning of the pigs in bad faith. They asked Jesus Christ to leave their region. They would rather die in their ignorance than repent in order to learn saving knowledge. This is what sense knowledge does to man. It legitimizes sin in the mind of the carnal believer and effortlessly leads the victim into certain destruction. Hear this. Dabbling in the unclean, whether it is food or things, may not necessarily take you to hell but to surely render you defenses against pandemic attacks. It makes your body and your soul to be susceptible to plagues by weakening your natural immune system and your inner spiritual defense and can allow you to be possessed by demons. Remember, the scripture teaches that when you partake of the cup of the Lord, you partake of the Lord. When you partake of the cup of the devil, you also partake of the devil. So if those animals are declared unclean by the creator himself, it means that they have demonic tendencies. We should not try to logicalize scriptures. Are you hearing me? Don't try to logicalize scriptures. Don't fine-tune them to suit your own expectations. Rather, we are supposed to allow our expectations to be pruned and managed by the scriptures. So, Take revelation from the above and act wisely. May the Lord bless you as you digest these words. And uh, may He help you to be able to inculcate them and perfect your Christian and physical experience 
ultimately for St. Elton Art in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, we see again in the next audio. The Lord bless you and keep you as always. In Jesus' name. You can contact me on any of the addresses you see on the accompanying details on this audio. The Lord bless you.